You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Welcome to another episode of Bicycle Retail Radio, produced by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Specialty bicycle retailers are the heart of the cycling industry, and since 1946, the NBDA has existed to strengthen these businesses through education, research, communication, and advocacy. The NBDA is a nonprofit supported by the membership of participating retailers and industry partners. If you're not already a member, you can learn more and join at nbda.com. This is Chad Picard, NBDA board member, owner of Spoken Sport in South Dakota. I will be taking the lead at the mic through the month of December as we bring to the platform a series of podcasts focused on ridership growth, specifically tools and resources to develop the younger generation. This is a very important topic, and I'm sure you'll enjoy the featured guests that we have on each week. And to kick it off, we start off with a brand who has made a tremendous impact in leading youth to two wheels and seems to be just getting started as their path impact and inspiration continue to lead retailers and riders forward. Today's guest is Ryan McFarland, founder of Strider Bikes, founder of All Kids Bike. Ryan is an entrepreneur with a passion for biking and motorsports. In 2007, he started Strider Bikes in his garage. Today, the Balance Bike Company has sold nearly 4 million bikes worldwide. Strider creates and inspires future generation of riders by giving children as young as six months old the best first bike experience. Strider Bikes revolutionize the bike's design to develop a child's balance first and pairs each balance bike with a proven learn-to-ride process. Children around the globe are starting on a Strider bike, learning the art of two-wheeling before they're out of diapers. Listen in and learn how you as a retailer can work with Strider to get kids started early into our sport. An NBDA Association member, welcome Ryan to Bicycle Retail Radio. Thank you for coming on the show. Hey, Chad, this is going to be fun. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'll be honest. I've wanted you on the show for a long time for a couple of reasons. We have one thing in common, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Last time I saw you was Cycle of Influence show down in Bentonville, early August. How was that show for you? Fun event. It's, I mean, it's always good to be able to speak about getting more, more kids on bikes, more people on bikes, and you know, trying to figure out where, where the blind spots are where we're missing opportunity. So I, I love uh, participating in those types of events. Yeah. And, and I think Strider brings a huge opportunity. We've talked about, you know, lifetime value of a customer and the idea of introducing, you know, you're really, you're introducing parents, but, but also the children to bikes at, at great age, six months. <laughs> yeah, that's right. With our rocking base underneath a 12 inch strider, you know, as soon as a child can crawl, they can yeah. literally crawl up onto that bike and start rocking and playing and having fun, associating fun with a bike before they can even walk. So, you know, one of the things that I think we are always in competition with attention, you know, from various sports and activities, you know, whether it's soccer, swimming, whatever, everybody's wanting the attention of children to grow their segment. Whoever's first basically into a child's heart yeah. kind of wins. So, yeah. you know, when bicycling was hanging out there at six years old, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of activities starting to preempt that. So, you know, when we can get them started at six months, loving bikes, I think we've checkmated it. So yeah, you bet. Well, let's, let's go back to the beginning. Quite a few years ago, Strider Bikes started in your garage. Tell me a little bit about that and how that came to be. Like, 
what were some of the initial thoughts of, of creating the balance bike? It was simply to teach my son how to ride. I was a new father. My son was about two. I was super excited to get him riding and really went down the fully down the path of traditional means as well. So tricycle, little four-wheeled scoot toys, little bike, 12-inch bike with training wheels. I mean, I was all in down that path. He had so many little multi-wheeled ride-on toys, it was kind of ridiculous. The good thing, though, is I went far enough down that path, I think that I realized it's kind of a dead-end path. It just doesn't really teach kids the fundamental skill they need which is how to balance on those two wheels. And typically those bikes, even the tricycles are quite heavy and complex. If you take a hard look at the fit of those items relative to the rider, although they look little, we know as our, from our adult perspective, looking down on the tricycle, sitting there on the floor, it looks so little, but in reality, you know, they might weigh 15 pounds and uh, you've got a rider that's 20 you look at that ratio and that'd be like you and I riding a 120 pound bicycle, you know, and you actually, no thanks, right? (laughs) Yeah. No thanks. You take a hard measurement sometimes from the seat to the pedal in its downstroke position. It's longer than the child's leg length or inseam in that age range. It's like, they look like they should be the answer, but they really aren't. I just think that I went far enough down that path. I really took a hard look at that and realized that these things aren't truly fitting my child. And then once I dialed into that, then, you know, kind of that nagging feeling like it's not also focused on the core skill, which ultimately we want kids on two wheels. So shouldn't we just be starting at that point versus teaching them one skill and then switching them to a different skill later on? So you had all these scooter devices, trikes, bikes with training wheels in your garage. What was the core problem you were trying to solve? What Was it the balance or was it the fit or was it? It probably started with fit was a big part of it, realizing that they were just too heavy. I mean, to give you an example, okay, so- I was trying to get my, my son riding his tricycle and I could see that he was struggling to get the pedals, you know, to operate, especially the pedal in the down downstroke. And then, you know, you turn the wheel and the pedal moves even further away. So it's like he didn't have enough power to, to uh, turn them. So I thought, hmm, well, you know, clipless pedals add power. So, I mean, I duct taped his shoes. I mean, I, I taped blocks onto the pedals to try and sure. get him a little better reach, which we've probably all done. And then he was having trouble with his feet slipping off. So then I duct taped his shoes to the pedals And then, you know, laced his feet up in there. So he's like hooked in solid. And, you know, at some point it was just, I just started realizing that this, this just is overcomplicated. It's too complicated. It's too heavy, clunky, but there's always that nagging thing. And it's not even focused on the right, the right skill. What age at this point? Is he 16 years old? No, he's, (laughs) uh, he'll be 20 here pretty soon. At the time you're trying to teach him this, how to ride the a bike. Is he two? Two. Yeah. Two? Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. So two-year-old. And and I imagine like as a we have a couple things in common. We both like motorcycles. And I I imagine like my motorcycle's heavy when it's fully loaded yeah. with gas and everything. I mean, it's it's yeah. 500 pounds. I don't weigh 500 pounds, but I, I I can't imagine being 40 pounds and actually having to get like to lift something off the ground that's 
you know, half the weight of my body right? and, and then try and move it forward. So, so yeah. weight is something very important yeah. to, to the full fit of a strider bike with a child. Yeah. So, you know, striders in production are from five to seven pounds, depending on the model. So, you know, when you have a 20 to 30 pound kid on a five to seven pound bike, that's a pretty good, I mean, that's a pretty good ratio that just the child can have a real control and command of the bike. And that control leads to a significant amount of confidence in it. I think a lot of kids get overwhelmed by their bikes. You know, when they feel overwhelmed by the bike, that leads to fear, you know, and if a kid gets scared, their answer is to, I don't want to do that. We see that so often. Bike and moto, parents get kids on something that's too big for them. It actually is overwhelming them, overpowers them through the weight and size or complexity. The next thing you know, the kids just uh, don't want anything to do okay. with that activity. So you're like literally walking your son through this in the garage trying to instill confidence. I can't imagine taping your son's feet to pedals would instill a lot of confidence. Thank you for not having a roll of duct tape in a box with your striders. I appreciate that. So you've got the tape on his feet. That didn't work. You're still in your garage. What was the next step? Well, I really decided I just needed a a complete different path, needed to get it back to two wheels, needed to focus on size. You know, I remember... I actually have it. It's on display in the lobby here at Strider, but it's a little sketch on a legal pad. You know, this little stick figure person of my son with all of his uh, measurements, you know, his inseam and arm length and, you know, leg length and everything, trying to understand truly his proportions and then looking at the bike and realizing, okay, he's got an inseam of 12 inches, but the the seat height on this little bike with it bottomed out is 16 inches. I mean, I'm a long ways away. So just really looked at all these numbers and thought, I just need kind of a clean slate design. So I'm going to start, I'm basically going to start by getting the seat down to where he could straddle the bike and touch the ground thinking, okay, that's, that's like the core of him feeling confident that he could touch the ground, you know, that he can hold the bike up on his own, touch the ground. Like that's as about as simple as it can get. And then we'll figure that, figure the rest out from there. So that was like, I need the seat at 11 inches. If his inseam is 12, I need the seat at 11 inches. Well, shoot. By the time I did that, I cut all of the upper tubes out of the frame. I mean, the seat was almost sitting on the bottom bracket at that point. So then you're looking at that, you know, the pedal on the upstroke is higher than the seat. So you're thinking, well, there's no way this is going to work. And I'm thinking for those of you listening, for you retailers listening, go to your sales floor and and grab your 12 inch bike and just measure that distance just to give you a point of reference of quite possibly how poorly fit some of these bikes may may or may not be built. Yeah, they're they're horrendous, actually. Yeah. (laughs) They look cute. But uh, functionality, oh my gosh. Yeah. I got the seat down to where it needed to be. And this this really was a turning point, though, because I was still thinking pedals. Still had in my mind it, the, the bike would have pedals on it. But once you got the seat down to that level and you look at the position of the bottom bracket, how low could you take the bottom bracket? You know, could you even have cranks? I mean, for those to be proportionate, they'd almost need to be like two inches long. Could you even generate any power there? Just like was like, 
almost felt like I was stuck there. How am I ever going to make these pedals work? And then that kind of was the breakthrough though. Could I just get rid of them? Do I, do I even need them? And I think that's one area where for some reason, bicycling seems to define itself on the pedaling when it really is a secondary element to the bike. I mean, it's not the defining characteristic of a bike, really. I mean, you can ride a bike and never use the pedals. I mean, you can pump around on a yeah. pump track. You can do a chainless race down a mountain. I mean, there's all kinds of ways yeah. you ride a bike and never use the pedals. So it really is a secondary. It's just a means of propulsion. The bike is the bike. The pedals are just a means of making the bike move, but you can use gravity. You can use pumping. You could use the wind. You could use whatever. The cool thing was when I kind of had that little mental breakthrough, it just released the design. It's like, oh, shoot, if I could just get rid of it all together and just use walking and running as the propulsion, then the bike design just rockets forward i can yeah. make it super light and simple and small and all the fit issues resolve and actually he can propel it better through striding you know walking and running he create more power in that means than he could pedaling which means it's actually a better means of propulsion when your legs only 12 inches long you know yeah when you came to that realization, assuming you're still in your garage and you've already, you know, chucked the roll of tape across the room and, yep. and, and all of that, how crazy did you feel? I mean, that really was a breakthrough moment when I separated pedaling from the bicycle, like that revelation that pedaling is just a means of propulsion that really doesn't have anything to do with riding. It's just a means of propulsion. But then the really cool thing was it's like it it instantly stitched everything together too. So it's like whether you're a little kid on a strider that's running his bike or whether you're somebody that's pedaling the bike or whether you're on a motorcycle twisting a throttle, whether you're using electricity or whether you're using gasoline or it's like all of a sudden the DNA of all of these machines linked together. You know, it's kind of like the bicycle industry, motorcycle industry are like estranged brother twin brothers you know what i mean it's it's kind of funny i will you know separated Strider, at some point yeah yeah that's right you know i mean harley davidson and indian they were bicycle companies that said hey maybe we, let's try and bolt a motor onto these i mean you even had to pedal them to get them going initially sure. and then engage a strap to bump start the motor i mean that's how they that's how they originally worked so i mean they're twin brothers that interestingly are kind of finding themselves through electrification these days, which is kind of fun. Yeah. So then napkin drawings, no pedals. You, you come up with this concept of the, you know, the child. We all know kids have energy, right? So really built that bike, you know, just gutted the bottom bracket then. The seat was down at 11 inches. The handlebars also got lowered. You know, the handlebars, uh, stock handlebars swooped up like eight inches above the you know, the top of the head tube. So I put a flat bar across there to get it, you know, with the seat down lower and him being lower, I put a flat bar on it to get it kind of mid torso. So he really was fit to the bike properly. His body positioning on the bike was good. 
And then just like that, he just had complete control. And I guess I like to say command of the bike because it was small enough and simple enough that he could manhandle it around. I mean, he could just whip the front wheel in the air and spin it around and head the other way if he wanted to. He, it was small enough. He could lift it up over a curb. You know, he could, it was light enough. He could push it through grass. Like, you know, when you think about a little kid, even, I mean, this is a two-year-old boy and you think about a training wheel bike, even kids that are four and five on bikes with training wheels, they pretty much have to be on flat concrete. You know, they get into the grass, done. You know, they get onto something uneven, just done. There's, it's just conditions have to be optimal and for it to work. And then here's this little two-year-old and he's out. We live in the country and I got dirt bike trails around. He's out on these trails, you know, and he's like popping little wheelies over tree roots. And like, he's having this really stimulating riding experience, this single track riding experience and he's not even three yet like he's he's riding yeah he's not like biting time in the in the driveway you know what i mean yeah he's on a grand adventure out there already we're setting the hook for him to be an enthusiast at a younger age than ever before in history and i think that's super important because we can't take for granted as an industry the kids will find their way to our sport because uh, there are just simply way too many alternate activities, so much of it uh, electronic and digital, that if we wait for them to have an experience too late in life, they probably will never find us. They'll be uh, you know, down the road of yeah. electronics or whatever it may be. And we're going to come back to that with talk about a little bit later about all kids bike programs. So training wheels, not only, like you said, you're stuck to a a playground, a driveway. What should a retailer do? Just take all the training wheels off bikes or get strider bikes? Absolutely. I mean, but training wheels, they keep our children safe by keeping them upright, right? (laughs) No, I'd say there's more injury caused by training wheels than anything else. It leads to a false sense of security. Training wheels only are beneficial if the bike is not in motion. But as soon as the bike goes in motion, they become really uh, quite a liability. I think the biggest issue with training wheels, it goes way back to the beginning. And this is where I would really like to, well, I'd like to see training wheels just be history. But I think there's probably nothing that leads to children getting on bikes that are not the appropriate size for them than training wheels. Okay. Because the training wheels are holding the bike up. There's the bike is sitting there on the showroom floor being held up in its stationary position. The little kid just climbs up on one, literally climbs up on one, sits on the seat, you know, finds the pedals smiles big and mom or dad or grandma or grandpa say, oh, that's super cute. Let's take that one. They seem to like that one. All the while, if you took a hard look at it, you know, that that child, they're, they're not even close to being able to touch the ground on that bike. And so they leave the store with a bike that's way too big. You got a child that's sitting up high. So you got a high center of gravity. They don't understand that the bike is stable while stationary, but as soon as it's in motion and you turn, then it becomes uh, really quite unstable and likely to 
you know, have them take a digger to the outside of a turn. And that's so common. We've all seen it. There's like a million videos on YouTube of kids wiping out actually bad on tricycles and training wheel bikes because they simply just don't expect the bike to tip like that. And they're on a bike that's so big, there's no way to put a foot down or save that fall in any way. You know, I mean, I kind of look at the moto industry. It's like the one product that CPSC has actually forbidden to be manufactured was, you know, the three-wheeler. Yeah. (laughs) I had many rides on a three-wheeler that I probably shouldn't have. Right. I mean, they actually outlawed that machine. And yet, what do we put all of our children on? Tricycles and bikes with training wheels. Bikes with training wheels are essentially tricycles. So, yeah, 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 just kind of crazy. So make a great point, children falling off, you know, on a turn or what have you. I'm imagining for a child, I know if I fall off my bike, I'm too stubborn. I'll just keep riding. But for children, I'm imagining that if, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about confidence, you're not really instilling any confidence in your child if they're going to fall every time they go around a corner. And actually sounds like just because of the fit, we're, we're not setting our children up for any sort of success. We're giving them a, a machine that doesn't work in a corner and we're taking away their ability to get a foot to the ground to stabilize them. Yeah. They're on a bike that's uh, too big, which means it's going to be too heavy. They're going to be very limited on where they can go with it. You know, it's kind of that flat sidewalk circles in the driveway type of thing, which is not a real inspiring experience to think, oh man, I want to be a bicyclist for the rest of my life when that's the the sum total of the experiences moving along with a piece of concrete. So let's say that they make it through the tricycle train, the training wheel period though, without, you know, without a crash, let's just say that they make it through that. But they really have learned the wrong skill. So all the time spent on that bike has not developed any true bike handling skills because it's not, uh, it has not focused on, you know, keeping the, the bike centered on two wheels, steering and counter steering to control a lean. Nothing has been learned that carries forward. So, you know, kids spend two to three years on a bike with training wheels and then, it's almost like they have to start over. So you're in your garage, you've fabricated some of this stuff yourself. You've, you've sent off some of it to your friends and it, the initial design that you had sounds like it's similar to what you have now. So when you presented that to your son, was it magical for him? Like, I want to imagine that he jumped on yeah. it and knew exactly what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, he, he did. I mean, it, it went beyond my expectations. Let's put it that way. And I think that's what really led to starting the company is how quickly he took to it, how fast and how far his skills progressed was amazing to me. It was beyond what I expected. You know, I think there again, it was just so simple and light and he had control of it. I mean, he had been straddling and pushing around little four-wheeled scoot toys. So, I mean, he had that in his head already. You think about a little kid, they don't have to think about the propulsion. If they're walking and running, they don't have to think about that at all. That's instinctual. So now he's got this simple, lightweight, little two-wheeled machine between his legs, and he's just all over on it. And then he's wanting to do tricks and jump off stuff. And as a parent, you're making him, he wants to stay in the driveway, right? Well, no, he's so he's yeah, the, he wants to go out in the grass and yeah. he's on the trails around our house. And 
I mean, he's just all over. I've got old videos of him like getting, you know, scrap wood and like almost building little trials obstacles Love out it. in the driveway and stuff <laughs> and then riding up over them. And then I'd set up teeter totters and all kinds of stuff. And he's riding over all these obstacles. So that's what engages kids is uh, the, you know, that mental stimulation of being able to, you know, ride on all the fun stuff. That's what keeps them engaged. And so if the bike is simple enough that it allows that, then, uh, I mean, that's a huge win. If the bike is so heavy and cumbersome that they can't ride anything fun like that, they, you know, they get bored and they're looking for something else especially in the world today where they can find it in electronics, like high sure. stimulation with little effort. Sure. I have friends that put their kids on striders. And, and I think we all know those people that have kids on striders and they, the, the stories are amazing. The one I think of recently is a parents on their, on their pedal bikes with their son on the strider, the son just like, let's keep going. Let's keep going. And they rode, I think two miles of just yeah. striding around at, you know, and I think I want to say he's like maybe three, three and a half or something. Yep. And, and then it, blows up from there. So how long did your son eventually get on a pedal bike then? He was three something, probably three, a little over three when he rode a pedal bike and a dirt bike. We had a little electric trials bike when he was three. And then we started racing motocross when he was four. So started with a PW 50 and then ended up getting KTMs and little KTM race bikes and doing the whole motocross series. Sure indoor series then. So, but, uh, you know, the cool thing is all of that stuff, it all connects then it's yeah. all the, that essence of riding is the same through all of it. And to this day loves bicycles, e-bikes, dirt bikes, street bikes, you name it, anything with two wheels, like he's a pro at. So, so this might be a hard question to answer, but do you know other kids, maybe the same age that maybe didn't have parents that loved their kids as much as you did and they didn't have a strider bike or like, do you see a skill set difference between kids? I don't really have a comparison there. Cause you, you um, got everybody on striders. That's right. Everybody yeah. In my sphere has a strider. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> the best cyclist are in, in that part of the state, right? Pretty amazing when you start that young, how, you know, like any sport, whether, you know, you hear about Tiger Woods swinging golf clubs, but when he's two and, you know, all these people that are really, really great athletes, how they typically started so young. And some of the research we've done for, I guess, reading of other scientific research just talks about the idea when, when a child learns a skill at a super young age, under three years old, I mean, they actually directly learn that skill. Like there, there are connections made in the brain specifically for doing that skill versus sure. if you learn a skill later in life, there are no new connections created for that skill. Basically, your brain finds a, a similar path yeah. that was previously developed. But, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, that sounds like trying to use like a translation system on your phone. You know what I mean? <laughs> Instead of being able to speak the primary language, now you're using a translation app and that never sure. quite works as well, you know, if uh, it's core first language. In the bike industry, we've always seen those manuals translated over to, to English from another language. So yeah, that's yeah, exactly, exactly it. 
you've got some other products that you've created as well. I know, you know, in prior years, but you started Strider in 2007. Where, where is Strider Bikes? Is that Silicon Valley, maybe on the, on the East Coast? Close. We're in Rapid City, South Dakota. So awesome. uh, the Black Hills. I also reside in the the other side of the state. So we're sworn enemies, even though we're, we're both in the same state. But yeah, Rapid <laughs> City, right. if you ever are coming to South Dakota, Rapid City is a beautiful area to ride bikes. Yes. And stop in at Strider headquarters. We've got a really a great kind of history section in the lobby built out. You can see the original Strider bike that my son rode, as well as some of the early prototypes of different models we've built. So lots of fun stuff to see. Tell me a little bit about you, you've got a lineup. I mean, I think it's a fairly simple lineup. Walk me through the the, the products that you have. You, you mentioned earlier the rocker. So I suppose we'll start yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, our focus initially was the 12-inch bike, which kind of the target there is, for simplicity's sake, two to four years old is kind of the window there. And we've really expanded that out to be zero to six. So that rocking base that goes on the 12-inch bike gets kids up to a year and a half from really as soon as they can crawl up to a year and a half, two years old, when that bike comes off the rocking base, they ride that 12 inch bike, maybe out till four. Then we have a 14 X. The 14 X model is a two in one. It starts as a balance bike and then it converts to a pedal bike. And that really is kind of for that four to six year old. So, but our, our product line basically ends at six and, you know, we feel like we've done our job at that point. If we've taught every kid how to ride a bike and given them a great first bike experience, then hopefully they are enthusiasts. And basically from six years old on, there's lots of companies making bikes of all shapes and sizes that they can roll onto from there. So, I mean, I guess we're the feeder for yeah. everybody else's. So I think of the the rocking base, I think is funny because... For those of you that don't know, it's like a like a rocking horse, but kids don't grow up to ride horses anymore, at least in, in most parts of our, our country. Right. They ride bikes. 12-inch strider just drops onto this base, and you've got a little rocker to get your child to burn some energy and yep. sleep well at night. Yeah, you know, and there's a lot of subtle development. I mean, we really try and dive into, just as I did in the beginning, understanding a child's size and weight and how they interact with products and everything. So even on the rocking base, you know, I had a rocking horse for my son when he was little. And I, and I recall, I can still see it, setting him on there and thinking, oh, that's cute. You know, and you go to get the camera or whatever. And right about then he turns, like takes a digger head to the floor. Sure. Because they're way up in the air, you know? And so I was like... You should have oh, used that roll of duct tape and just taped him on there. Taped him on there, <laughs> yeah. I know it. So on our rocking base, we thought, okay, well, now the child's even younger. So we're talking about an inseam of like uh, nine inches, nine or 10 inches. That's kind of uh, basically a newborn. So what we did is created a solid deck on the rocking base. And then we dropped, like we sunk the bike into it two inches so that the seat from the deck of the rocking base to the top of the seats only nine inches. So now a kid, even a tiny baby that has crawled up on there, their feet are touching the deck. You know, even uh, at six months old, their feet are touching the deck as they're straddling the seat. And uh, just kind of some of those details of making sure that it's really fit for uh, the rider goes a long ways. Yep. 
I love how in tune Strider is to the fit and the weight because you 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 do some other things to your bike that you haven't mentioned yet that all reduce that weight impact on the yeah. bike. So you you've you've kind of gotten rid of the the traditional pneumatic tire, although that is a, an upgrade you can do. And you've you've gotten rid of some bearings, you've gotten rid of some stuff to really make this thing a comfortable little device for kids to learn confidence on. Like you mentioned earlier, you know, the pedals were are such a such a central part of cycling. So are tubes and and spokes and 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 how the wheels are built and the bearings that you really gotta like just wipe that slate clean and think, oh yes, balance right. is important, confidence is is important, and fit is important. Right. And, and even as over the years, you've tweaked all those things and gotten better all along. It's enjoyment of the ride in whatever you know fashion makes that most possible for the rider. That's what we're yeah. after. You know, it's not like we're trying to spokes or hubs or like we're not trying to fit in that box. We're trying to make the best rider experience for this particular rider. That was kind of tough. I mean, we we fought a lot of battles. It was there where it was hard to get people to adopt to some of that initially, you know, plastic headset bushings, people like, ah, you know, it needs a real headset. I'm like, well, why? The rider weighs 20 pounds. Yeah. Like, why do we need all these like steel races and bearings and everything? You know, and I think we've proved that out that it works great and it and it has some other benefits in that it simplifies maintenance and assembly for the parent. Mm -hmm. You know, our tires are different, but when you think about a child, I mean, everything is a, like a compromise on, especially in bicycling, because you've got limited horsepower, right? The human body's only got so much horsepower. So you're always trying to measure, oh, geez, should I do the, you know, whatever, the 195 tires or the two third 2.3s or whatever, you know, it's like, how much traction do I want? Well, ultimately you'd take all the traction you could get, Yeah, but you have to say, ah, well, I'm going to, I can't pedal that much weight around. So I'm going to scale back a little bit. It's always this compromise of what, what do I most need? What's my performance like combination that I'm looking for? So, you know, if gravity is going to move your bike, then you can go with a little more traction, right? You can get bigger tires and everything. So when you think of a little kid, a two-year-old kid, because well, people say, oh, those, uh, you know, those EVA foam tires don't have enough traction and stuff. And it's like, well, you know, at this stage in the game, like high-speed cornering... traction is not the highest need. So your performance is serving your highest need. The highest need for a a beginner is for it to be as light as possible, to hold as little energy when it's in motion as possible so you can stop quickly, to have as little resistance to being put into motion as possible. So those tires have, have really actually been a huge benefit to getting kids having fun and comfortable on the bike. But there's another piece here that I think that often gets overlooked and especially by the bike enthusiasts because bike enthusiasts don't think anything of fixing a flat tire, but the majority of America will not fix a flat bicycle tire. If your kid, if your two or three year old has a bike that gets a flat tire 
I would wager that the majority of those bikes get pushed to the side of the garage and different activities replace bicycling. I mean, that's sad to say, but that is the reality. And we have to understand that, that people new to the sport and especially little kids. I mean, you know, if you've got a lot of times it's mom's taking care of the kids. She's got tons of stuff that she's trying to do and wrangle and everything. And now all of a sudden the bike's got her the, you know, the, if you got a Strider bike and you had pneumatics on it, now the bike's got a flat tire. It's just like, I just, I can't deal with that. We're just done with it. Push it, push it aside. I remember as a kid, yeah. the flat tire was like the kiss of death for us. Cause yeah. it, like yeah. if it was during the the school year, you know, my parents were teachers. And so it, it wasn't going to get done until the following weekend. It's like those bikes, the EVA foam tire is half the weight of a pneumatic and it is always ready to ride. Yeah. So. Love it. Hope you're enjoying our Bicycle Retail Radio broadcast. Be sure to go to nbda.com to check out our membership benefits. So Strider's out in the Black Hills, Rapid City area. Beautiful. Doing over 4 million bikes. We'll hit 4 million bikes in early 23. Early 23. So it's coming up. It was funny. I, I was in Bentonville. And I saw, oh my gosh, here's a Strider store, a little bit of South Dakota in Bentonville. And, and lo and behold, guess who walks in? Ryan, you walked in right behind us. In fact, actually, we banged on the door because they were closed. And, and I can't remember the, who runs the store. I want to say her name's Nicole. Nicole. Yeah. Okay. Nicole. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, come in, come in. I want to show off the store. And you, you mentioned you know, parents will buy bikes because they're cute. But in the corner of, of that Bentonville store is probably my you know, as a lifelong bike mechanic and, and tinkerer, you have like this workshop where you can maybe a bad word, cutify your strider. Build out whatever you want. So this is on our website as well, but it's called bike builder and you can pick a frame. So you can pick either the steel frame or the aluminum pro frame. And then we have wheel choices. So you can get the lightweight EVAs. You can get an aluminum wheel with a pneumatic. You can even get a carbon fiber wheel set. I mean, those are that wheel sets $500, I think. And then you choose your handlebar and stem combination. So you can get the, the standard one piece welded, or you can get an adapter that will take a, a regular a headset style stem. And then you can choose a handlebar, whether it's a flat or rise bar you can get aluminum or carbon fiber you can build out whatever you nice. want so love it we've got colored wheels different colored grips so really yeah you can create and whatever you want to dream up you can build it out there and one of the fun things is in the the tools are hanging on the wall and everything is right there it's a you know it's a functional little shop we built just this big workbench type table that goes right in that area. And we wanted to make sure that it was good and solid and that kids could get up on the table and kind of get their hands right into the mix with the parents. What we didn't want is, and what happens so many times is you got a little kid that's only two and a half feet tall and they're looking, you know, they're looking up, trying to see what's going on up above them, you know, on top of a table with something built. And it's like, no, I want their hands right in the mix. So let's build this thing so that they can climb up 
right up on top of the table and be up there on their knees, just uh, hands in the mix with everything. So that's been super fun to get kids hands-on tools and picking parts and really getting involved in building their bike, you know, one and a half, two years old. I'll be honest, Ryan, I wanted to build one and I almost, (laughs) I almost did. And those carbon wheels were looking pretty sexy. I believe there was a carbon frame available. We have a full carbon bike, the Strider STR. I mean, we sell those by the thousands in Asia. It's a $900 bike, um, full carbon frame, fork, handlebar, uses a Cane Creek air headset. You know, it's got sticky pneumatic tires, carbon wheel set, carbon seat post, the whole works, carbon handlebar. Why couldn't you have started Strider in like the early 70s so I could have had my blinged out I know. carbon Strider? So if, if you're in Bentonville, definitely, whether you're 40, 50 years old, 18, go check out the Strider store. There's a track in there. There's all sorts of stuff. And, and then stickers for the kids on bikes and stuff. It's just, it's a beautiful store. And it's right next to, I believe, the Walton Five and Dime, the original Walmart too, I believe. So yes, beautiful it is. Right, on, right on the square in Bentonville. Yep. Yeah. So you've, you've got another project going on. You started, I want to say four or five years ago, maybe further back, you started All Kids Bike. That's right. Yeah. So. Tell me just a brief like history or maybe what, what your goal yeah. is with All Kids Bike. So kind of leading up to that, in 2014, we created the, the Rider Fund at Strider. So we just uh, we made a commitment to donate 1% of our gross revenue towards getting kids on bikes. And so we were earmarking money to you know put bikes into different daycares or special Olympics teams or whatever it was, we were just earmarking money for this cause. And we were getting more and more calls. What led to that really is we were just getting more and more calls from people with older kids that just didn't know how to ride. You know, I had been really so focused on getting kids riding super early. Like I wanted kids riding at one and a half, two years old, you know, so that like pedaling by three, twisting a throttle by four, that was kind of the vision. And what we were really hearing from people was there are a lot of kids out there that are not learning how to ride. So we get calls from parents with eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, didn't know how to ride, didn't know what to do. So I started just doing some research there trying to understand what was going on, because that just doesn't register with me. I mean, I've just grown up around all of this. It just didn't even register. I kind of blew it off for a while, to tell you the truth, because I thought, ah, these are just weird anomalies. Everybody knows how to ride a bike. Right. But the calls just kept coming. And the more Strider became known as a learn-to-ride expert company, the calls just kept coming in. And again, it was older kids and everything, wondering what we had for older kids and stuff. So anyway, started doing the research and really just realizing the decline in ridership, like decades long patterns of ridership decline. Thought, holy cow, this does not bode well for the sport I love, bike or moto. You know, it's all connected. But also beyond that, it's just the societal issues as well of in this same kind of research, you see the screen time addiction with kids. I mean, now kids, the six to 17 year old kids are spending over seven hours a day on screens. 
You're seeing uh, obesity, overweight and obesity rates at record levels. I think 22.4% of U.S. kids are like technically overweight or obese, highest record or level in uh, history. And along with that, the diseases that go with it, you know, the diabetes and the heart disease and everything that goes with that are at record highs with kids. It's like all this stuff is connecting. And what you're seeing is all of these are climbing as you're seeing the bicycling declining. I think the latest statistics out were showing only one in four kids will even ride a bike this year. Even one time. I'm like, oh my gosh, you can't set the bar any lower than riding a bike one time. And it's only one in four. So it's like, geez, we yeah. need to do something here. So we took a next step, I guess, and started a nonprofit. So the Strider Education Foundation is a 501c3. It's independently run by a board separate from Strider. Strider is the largest contributor to that entity. All Kids Bike is kind of the focused program. You know, we tried to figure out how exactly do we make an impact? And we kind of framed the problem, I guess, which led to our solution. It's like, how do we reach the greatest number of kids in the shortest amount of time at the youngest age possible? And once we framed that, then the answer kind of came into focus. And it's like, we've got to get into the school system and we've got to reach the kindergarten kids. That's really as young as you can go in a broad manner. You know, preschool just isn't really organized, but every school sure. all across the nation has kindergarten. So it's like, okay, let's develop teacher training and curriculum for a learn to ride program for kindergarten PE class. And we wanted it to be core curriculum in the school, not an after-school program or YMCA program. It's like core curriculum. So every single kid goes through this curriculum and learns this skill, just like their ABCs and their numbers. And so that's what we've done. So All Kids Bike really is on a mission to teach every child in America how to ride a bike in kindergarten PE class. So to put a an exclamation point on that. You said something at, in Bentonville when you were, you were on a panel that every kid, every kid that goes through this program gets on a bike and learns how to ride a bike. And there, and there's certainly other things that go along with that as far as, you know, some skills, some communication skills and, and stuff like that. But what stuck out to me was every kid. Every kid. You know, you mentioned electronics and video games, but I, I think like the generation behind me is the generation that that probably didn't get a bike or or didn't maybe they got a bike, but but they were distracted with electronics and and they they maybe knew how to ride, but they continued that the, with the electronics. And when their kids were young, it was the kids saying, "I want a bike," and the kids didn't know how to teach that. So right. every kid going into this program gets on a bike. I was going to say the other thing. I think is important is that the message sent to kids too, when it's done in this manner of the importance, how important bicycling is then. I mean, think about it. These kids for the first time, they're like kind of out of the house or daycare setting and they're going to a, to school where there's, I mean, they have to be engaged and they're like accountable for their participation and their efforts and everything. They have a teacher like this authority person that's somewhat their hero to them. And they're basically be, being 
told, hey, we're going to teach you your letters and your numbers, how to add and subtract and read and write and how to ride a bike. (laughs) It's like riding a bike is presented to them as this like core skill that they need to learn and have as part of their growing up. You know what I mean? It's like the messaging and the impact of it being delivered in that way for kids, I think can't be underestimated. I think back to kindergarten or maybe first or second grade, we had square dancing in gym class. I would have much rather have been on a strider for that portion of the program than square dancing. You know, when we started this, I was a little more, I guess, timid about trying to get it into the schools. Then the more we worked on it, you know, your confidence builds. And pretty soon I'm like, I can't think of anything more valuable to teach a child in kindergarten PE than how to ride a bike. I even offered a hundred bucks to my staff or anybody who could come up with something that I was missing. And I still have the hundred dollars. So it's like, if that's truly the case, then why are we not as an industry pushing hard to make learning to ride a bike in kindergarten PE like the norm? I mean, that's what I'm after is to try and push to shift the paradigm of kindergarten PE to make learning to ride a bike a priority. And if you think about the billions of dollars being spent by municipalities on bike lanes, bike paths, bike parking, bike parks, everything, we've got really federal mandate of tax dollars being invested into bike infrastructure, which is awesome. But we have a declining ridership. I mean, the the number of kids participating in bicycling is dropping by 250,000 kids every year. We need to turn this around in a big way. It has been good to see with All Kids Bike where our support has been coming from. We're seeing support from, you know, businesses of all types. But interestingly, on some of the governmental side, we've seen support from a number of DOTs. So Department of Transportation is aware of this problem. I mean, they're they're spending all this money to build all this infrastructure, and they're a little worried that they're not going to have any users of it. Mm-hmm. Or they're going to have very few users of it. And that's a bad deal. So they want to see more users in the future. You know, we're seeing support from Department of Health as well. They're really looking at the childhood obesity, sedentary lifestyle issues. It's like we have got to get kids moving out of the house in the sunshine and moving. And, you know, they're really seeing a bicycle as the highest, best hope for making that happen. So the all kids bike program that's in public schools, probably some private schools too. How how many schools are you currently in? We're in over 750 schools now, all 50 States. Yeah. We started, it's been a rough couple of years with COVID. So many schools were shut down and they were just overwhelmed dealing with the, the whole pandemic. We still made progress through it all, but We started the year with 440 schools running the program, and we're up to 750-some now. We should hit 800 by the end of the year. Wow. So it's really rocking and rolling. That's impressive. And that program, if I were in kindergarten, first grade, what would I experience? It's not a half-year program. It's No, 
nope, it's basically eight lessons. Sometimes teachers stretch it out a little bit more than that, but basically eight lessons, the whole program, I'll just kind of give you the rundown of the program. The program consists first of teacher training, making sure that the PE teacher is fully up to speed on bikes, how to teach the skill, how to run through the curriculum. And believe it or not, I mean, we've run into PE teachers that don't know how to ride bikes as well. And we've had to work with them on how to ride a bike before they'll start with the students. So, you know, we never make any assumptions. So it starts with assuming that kids don't know anything about bikes. In eight lessons, we'll take them from an introduction to the bike, even how to put the kickstand up and how to get on the bike, like literally how to get on the bike. And then by the eighth lesson, we've got them uh, pedaling around on two wheels, never using training wheels, obviously. The first five lessons are all in balance mode. So this uses our 14X bike in balance mode only. The sixth lesson, we add the pedal kit, but we don't use the pedals. Just still stride around the pedals and find them as footrests and then go back to striding and then find the pedals. Lesson seven, they actually start turning the pedals. Lesson eight, they're pedaling around. So very methodical, takes kids just step by step. Same bike through the whole period, starts without pedals, then adds pedals. That's kind of the beauty of it is you're not switching machines on them. You know, it's the same bike that they're comfortable with, just uh, adding the pedals in partway through the program. Has anybody expanded on that program? Like an additional, like created an additional eight week program where they do gap jumps, 10 foot drops. (laughs) Exactly. Joking, but are you guys, do you have additional curriculum for the future plan? Yeah, well, probably the main one is the traffic safety, you know, really getting them that first skill of how to ride the bike is key. And then we do have some traffic safety. So it starts talking about, you know, intersections and hand signals, some things like that, that we'll get into if they want to do that in a second year. They can still do that as first graders. You know, they're really too big for the bikes in a way. Sometimes that's not a bad thing because it's not it's not as much about riding the bike as it is about trying to learn the hand signals and the skills. So sometimes it's easier to do on a little bike where you, you know, you can easily sure, sure. put your feet on the ground and and all that. So that works quite well. When we cool. put the program into a school, typically they will work with the first graders and the kindergartners, kind of double dip that first year and catch the previous year's kindergartners. The program, though, you know, once it's placed in the school, it's there. So it's a one-time expense to get the program into that school. And then the equipment and the knowledge and curriculum and everything is there. So it's, it just, it runs from that time forward. So once we place it in a school, you know, you're seven to 10 years worth of impact from that one program placement. So right now we're reaching about 100,000 kids a year with the programs that we have already placed. So, you know, you push that forward seven to 10 years and, you know, we're three quarters of a million to a million kids are on deck to learn how to ride a bike with what we've done so far. You know, I hope to double that in the next year and a half. I'm thinking as a, if I put my, my retailer hat, I'm thinking like the first thing I go to is lifetime value of that in our industry. I mean, I, we all love bikes. We want to share bikes with everybody and we want everybody to to find happiness through bikes and adventure and and, and all of mm-hmm. all of that. 
So as a, as a retailer, I think, how do I make that kind of change in my community? How do I get a local, do, do I have to get, do I have to convince the teachers to call you? Do yeah. I call you? Yeah. What's that uh, process like? No, you can, you really just reach out to all kids bikes, our website, allkidsbike.org. tons of information there. But, you know, if you want to do something in your community, we're happy to help strategize a plan of how to make that happen. Certainly, we will reach out to schools. You know, interestingly, some schools are super excited immediately. Some schools, you know, they can come up with every excuse in the world to not do this because it sounds like a lot of work. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, we don't have any place to store bikes. We don't have anybody who can work on bikes. We don't, you know, it's just really no, no, no. So we have to do a good bit of work in certain instances to really explain the program, how small, simple and easy these bikes are to work with, how thoroughly the program is developed in the curriculum, the teacher training. It does take some work, but we're, you know, we have staff that are very good at approaching the schools and answering those questions, alleviating those fears and concerns right away. So, but, you know, once we get a school on board and we hear this time and again, they're like, we have never had a program this impactful. And if we ever face budget cuts, this will be the last thing that will ever get cut. It simply is connecting with the children better than anything we've ever done. And it's not about just gym class and the bicycle. It's like it is engaging kids to just get involved in school. It's helping them, you know, embrace school and connect with the teachers and, you know, do better in their other scholastics. This one interview from a principal in one of the Los Angeles schools, you know, the question was, you know, what's one of the things that you notice about the All Kids Bike Program? And I thought this was quite telling. She said, you know, all the kids show up on bike day. Like, wow. You know, that sounds kind of funny, but it's like, wow, that's her reality. Like just getting kids to show up at school. That's her challenge. And the bike program like all the kids show up that day. It's like mission one accomplished yeah. for her objective, right? Is I can't teach kids if they don't show up and the bike program is is getting them to all show up. I mean, that speaks volumes to me about the power of a bicycle in a school setting. So Yeah. That certainly does. So let's say I own a bike store. I'm curious about this program. I have maybe a couple bucks. Is it do I gotta write a, you know, find to get my local school to do something like this? and So this, you know, we look at this program with the teacher training curriculum, all the equipment. It's a fleet of 24 Strider 14X bikes, helmets, kickstands, pedal kits, bike for the teacher, the whole package, you know, value there with curriculum and training and everything is about $17,000. I mean, we cover a bunch of that. So okay. what we need, can't do it all though. We're looking for somebody to cover the last six. Oh, wow. So $6,000 is what it takes to equip a school with this, all this training curriculum and equipment that will run for seven to 10 years and will really will teach oh, well over a thousand kids how to ride bikes. So it's less than 10 bucks a kid is what it comes down to. $6,000. So how do some of the 
I'm assuming there's some bike stores that really want to see that happen. Are they just yeah. writing a check? Are they doing fundraisers? Yeah. We've, or? Seen, we've seen all types of things. I mean, we've seen some shops just straight up write a check. We've seen them do events. You know, they'll do a you know, some type of a ride and entry fees will go towards this, you know, earmark some money from certain sale items. You can round up the registers. You can basically ask the question anytime the register rings, hey, would you like to add a dollar to help teach kids in our local community how to ride bikes with the All Kids Bike Program? So lots of different ways that that can be done. Sometimes the bike shop is just, uh, they don't have to bear the financial load, but they can make some inquiries. You know, there there are a lot of community foundations, there are PTAs, there are a lot of, you know, just about every town or city has some corporations, banks, you name it, that have money. So sometimes it's just that the bike shop owner can simply be the champion for it as well. So allkidsbike.org, we also have a crowdfunding mechanism there. So if we identify the school that we want to fund, we can build a page there that allows donations, credit card donations and everything. And uh, it's all, you know, that's all tax deductible and receipts fire out to the donors and everything. And it might be that the bike shop is simply the champion that helps move that link around, you know, get that link out to various businesses in a community. You know, this was kind of interesting. We had a person in Joplin that wanted to see the programs in schools in Joplin. I think there were 11 elementary schools in Joplin, Missouri, and they went to the Chamber of Commerce and the young professionals group at the Chamber of Commerce took it on as a project they just rallied the community and they ended up coming up with funds to fund all 11 schools in Joplin. So all the kids that are growing up in Joplin are learning how to ride bikes in kindergarten PE. So sometimes it just takes a champion to say, hey, I'm going to do this. Give us a call and we'll, we'll brainstorm awesome. with them on what can be done. It's such a good cause. It's a cause that everybody can get behind. I mean, there's there are no haters for teaching kids to ride bikes. You know what I mean? It's like oh, no. get support from everybody. I think businesses will support it. Individuals will support it. PTAs, everything. It usually takes a person to just say, hey, I'm going to champion this. I'm going to get this rolling. So Awesome. So what keeps you up at night the most? Oh, I would say... Time is of the essence. Yeah. You know, that's the only thing that frustrates me. I, I guess I feel like I'm, I've built the race car or the rocket ship. It's ready to go. It's proven itself out. I just wish I had more fuel to run with it. I mean, we've got hundreds of schools just on a waiting list that want to teach kids, just don't have enough money to get the programs out to them. And uh, that could easily be thousands of schools. I don't even pursue schools. That's just word of mouth applications that have come in schools that want the program. We don't go pursue schools because usually finding the money is the hard part, not finding Mm -hmm. the schools. Sure. So, you know, but when I think about that number of 250,000 kids like drop in ridership every year, and I think, man, that's super awesome that we're teaching 100,000 kids how to ride every year. 
But I look at those two numbers and it's like, shoot, we haven't even stopped the bleeding yet. You know, we're still in decline. So that's kind of the part that eats at me. It's like, dang, I wish this could happen faster. Yeah. It needs to happen faster. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the headlines, you know, just I have friends that are, are teachers as well. And just the lack of attention span, like what is the value of increased attention span? I mean, it's, right. it's going to be kids that are much smarter <laughs> and yep. jobs that are easier for teachers. And you may lose a dance competition, a square dance competition down the road because you didn't have dance and gym, but the Strider program has so much more to offer. It truly is a uh, health changing, life changing. It can become transportation for people, for people in tough situations. It may become the transportation that leads them to a better job, lifts them out of poverty, gets them to safer locations. I mean, it's just huge. There is nothing like learning to ride a bike for gaining some independence over your your life and your well-being. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to add? Anything you'd like to share with tons of retailers or other (laughs) people listening into the podcast? Well, we could talk a little bit about Personally, I guess what I feel like retailers could do to help in this, I feel like our recruitment, just as an industry, a recruitment of new riders could be better. I think we always just end up reverting back to the enthusiast. And I think the, you know, we can't grow our influence if we don't reach out to the people that are non enthusiasts. That's the big thing. You know, with kids' bikes, you know, I'd written a uh, written a paper a while back about presentation of kids' bikes in bike shops. We can chat about it a little bit if you want. If it fits in, great. If it doesn't really fit in, don't worry about it. But it might be worth getting it on tape. Yeah, so, yeah. A couple yeah. minutes of this. The value to the industry, you know, more kids on bikes, there's a lifetime value of that yep. to retailers. I mean, we need that income coming in to be yeah. sustainable and, yeah. and, and also... We do this because we love biking and, and it, yep. there's a, a value to that. So yeah, this is this yeah. is important discussion. So I guess, you know, when I visit bicycle shops, a lot of times, you know, I'm always, man, I like all the high-end stuff and everything, but I'm usually just from my business standpoint, I'm looking at the children's area. And I think that children's bikes just get, they get lost in most shops. You know, they don't take up much space. They're not a big part of the business and, and that's fine. But in turn, they just don't represent much floor space. And what floor space they do have, they typically are just so small that they kind of get lost in the store. I think it could be a win for shops with really no more square footage, but simply some really good signage for a learn to ride backdrop, or maybe it's something colorful that is more geared towards kids. So you clearly can see where the kids section is. Again, might be the exact same square footage, but it's something bright and colorful that looks children related and really has that key message of learn to ride. You know, when parents come in, they're not necessarily looking for bikes with training wheels. So this is this is the other part is, you know, what I would love to see in bike shops. I think we as an industry know that there is a better way to teach kids how to ride than to put them on bikes with training wheels. Yet time and again, I go into shops and the OEMs, the OEMs are still shipping everything with training wheels, which blows me away. And you go into shops and there are bikes with training wheels on them. 
And I asked the question, why is that? Well, we have people coming in looking for bikes with training wheels. Like, you know, they might be coming in asking that question, but their goal is not to have their child become a training wheel bike rider. Their goal, their ultimate goal is for their child to become a proficient bike rider. They think that training wheels are the means to that goal. But I think that the bike shop, the IBDs are missing an opportunity by not recognizing what the ultimate goal of the buyer is. I mean, the parent wants the bike, the child to ride a two-wheel bike. And if we can show them a faster way to get there, then we endear ourselves to that parent and uh, win their business. So, you know, we also can take the lead in keeping kids from getting on bikes that aren't the right size. But I think it takes a little bit of a shift in how bikes are presented. I guess my proposal in that instance, I'm trying to understand that environment a little bit, is to take the pedals off all the bikes and to take the training wheels off all the bikes and uh, hang them on the handlebars and then put a sign right there that says, we teach kids to ride, ask us how type of thing. Because what happens so many times is, especially if you've got somebody who's a non-enthusiast, if if they come into your store and they just start looking around, you know, they're maybe timid about asking questions and everything. They're just going to look at a bike with training wheels and maybe guess at a size and walk out the door with it, but you haven't really impacted their life yet. But if you set the bike up in this manner where it's uh, it's in a little rack, the pedals are off it, the training wheels are off it, but it's got a sign on it that says, ask me about this. You engage them in conversation and basically you can say, well, we do this for a couple of reasons. First, we want to make sure that the bike is sized right for your child. So we really need to understand their inseam. Can the child swing a leg over this bike and actually hold it up? And if the training wheels are on there, we don't, we don't know if that's possible or not because they're hiding the fit from us. So we got to get the training wheels off of there so we can see the proper fit first and foremost. And then it leads into, and we've got the pedals off here because uh, the, really the first step in learning to ride a bike is developing your sense of balance. And the best way to develop a sense of balance without scaring your child is to just simply have them with their feet on the ground walking along with a bike between their legs. Literally anybody can do this. And actually, once they do this a little bit and they start gliding along, well, then we can just take the training wheels and throw them in the trash. And then we put the pedals on and you've got a bike rider on your hands. And the whole process took just maybe a couple months instead of a couple of years. That's the conversation that the IBD can be having with the parent. And that's the conversation that wins the loyalty for everything bike related, because that's not the conversation they're going to have out at the box stores. So, you know, right now, if there's nothing different happening at the IBD than the box store, there isn't really a reason for people to shop at the IBD. I mean, the prices are higher at the IBD. It's not real apparent to a non-enthusiast what the difference is. Those bikes both look relatively the same. They're both red. They both have 20-inch wheels and they both have training wheels. This one's, you know, $100 and this one's $300. I don't understand the difference. I'm not seeing a $200 delta there that would make me want to buy the bike at the IBD. So it's like we've, we've just like given that whole chunk of business 
that whole opportunity to really let our expertise shine, we've just given it away. And I mean, I think it's the source of everything, man. Like kids are expensive. They outgrow stuff all the time. It's like, man, you want yes, them they to do. buy that first bike from you because they're going to need another bike a year yeah. from now and another bike a year from that and another bike a year after that. And they're going to need new helmets and they're going to need new this and that. It's like ridiculous how fast they grow through stuff and need new stuff. And so it's so critically important to get that first buy-in. And then what happens then is if you if you get a child that's really thriving on their bicycle and they're enthusiastic, it can actually bring the entire family into the sport of bicycling. I've seen it time and again, where it started out with non-riding parents that were just trying to get a bike for their kid. And before you know it, the whole family has purchased bikes and are riding because of the child's enthusiasm. That's how you grow the pyramid, the base of the pyramid. You know, business, if you think about business as a pyramid, you've got the enthusiasts are at the top, you know, they're at the peak of the pyramid and the beginners are the base of the pyramid. You want this huge base. You want to build out that base as big and wide as you can at the same time serving the enthusiasts that are at the point of that period. But if you don't build the base, you eventually end up with a business that's serving you know, enthusiasts at the top of the pyramid, and it's a tall, skinny pyramid that someday is going to fall over just because it doesn't have that good base. So, like I've said it before, I mean, we all love bikes and we need to get them on the bikes when they're young and, and, and not on bikes, but on the, the right bike for the kids yeah. so that they can grow their skills. And yeah. uh, Ryan, this will be a long podcast for people to listen to. And I, I'm, I'm excited for that. You and I could probably talk forever about this because I think we're both excited about some of the same things. I, I did pen a couple takeaways just to, to kind of review for our listeners. Number one, bikes are super cool and biking is super cool. We all love it. And hopefully with, you know, a product like Strider Bikes or just getting kids on bikes earlier, we can do more of that. Kids are curious and, and a, a Strider bike will kind of feed into that. And kids want to learn about their neighborhoods and see, they want to see what's over that other thing, that grassy hill or, or whatever, but they need to, they need to be on the right product. They need to be with a strider there on a bike that has a properly fit bike that's lightweight and it's going to handle it. It's going to handle a couple kids. I think we all know that, that these can get handed down a little bit and also be customized to fit each kid's personality. That confidence is just going to continue with them as they grow up. All kids bike program. I My takeaway from that is, and, and tell me if I'm wrong with this, but it's a program that not only teaches kids how to ride bikes, but it also teaches them skills in a safe environment that they're going to carry with them throughout their life, not just on a bike, but, but it's, it's really, it's, you mentioned that, that additional programming that's going to teach kids traffic skills where they will learn traffic skills at a young age in a slow, safe environment that they can use later on in life when you know, they're, they're probably going to be in a car at some point, but also yeah. while they ride their bike through communities. Is that a pretty good assessment? If you look at, at the essence, a bike is a child's first vehicle. So exactly. Yes, exactly. Like they're learning lessons that will carry over to a motorcycle or a car someday. Just exactly. they're learning lessons of attention and control and responsibility uh, related to movement in a vehicle. 
let's do a 20 year study on kids that start on strider bikes and get driver's license and in south dakota you can get a driver's license at 14 and and that's the most dangerous thing in the world let's do that study present kids bikes well in your stores that's another takeaway that i think you're on point with that i also think of like what is going to attract a kid to a bike and it's a sticker it's something to put on the bike to say that it's yours or even like kids in bike stores is one of my favorite things. Like the idea of a parent driving past a store with a, a, a kid in the car and saying, I want to go there because they gave me a sticker or whatever. They got cool kids bikes. They let me touch the bikes. That means a lot to me, but all of it comes together as it's, it's an impactful thing that, that just has rewards year after year after year for not only the retailer as a future, the, the future value of that customer, but for the individual, they will just, continue to love bikes more and more, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh man, I love that. They need to have the richest experience possible at the youngest age possible. So for our listeners that might have additional questions or want to contact you, what's the best method for that? I know we've got a bank of operators waiting to answer your calls <laughs> and take <laughs> your donations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my email is Ryan at striderbikes.com. Just shoot me a message or you can go to our website, either striderbikes.com and send a message through there, or you can go to the foundation, allkidsbike.org, send a message through there, or just shoot me an email. Yeah. So several ways to get a hold of you. Well, that wraps up our time. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening to Bicycle Retail Radio. This podcast is designed specifically for the bicycle industry, dedicated to strengthening our retailers and our cycling community. If it's your first episode, we urge you to take time and listen to past episodes, support the show by first subscribing, and then share your favorite episodes with friends online. You can go one step further and leave a review. It helps the members of our industry to find our podcast. Special thanks to NBDA Development Director Rochelle Shouten for the editing and promotional graphics, and we appreciate your support. Thank you for listening. See you back here soon. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at nbda.com. <laughs>